and welcome to the State of Shakespeare. I'm Garrett Vandermeer. And today joining us, we have Eile Huber and Toby Malone. Welcome, Eile and Toby. Hi. Thank you so much for having us. Eile Huber and Toby Malone are the authors of a new book available by Routledge called Cutting Plays for Performance, a Practical and Accessible Guide, which focuses on the practicalities of cutting plays that exist in the public domain, something that is a, a very common experience for producers and practitioners of Shakespeare. Thank you both for being here. Thanks for having us. We're really excited. So what was the inspiration for the book? Um, so it was kind of a funny story. So Toby and I met in the fall of 2018. We were both on the planning committee for the um, Kennedy Center American College Theater Festival. Uh, Toby is the dramaturgy coordinator for the festival, and I was for a long time the workshops coordinator. And uh, there was a lull in this meeting that we were having. And I was working on cutting Richard III for, uh, it was going to be performed for high school audiences. I was getting ready to direct it for um, the Pigeon Creek Shakespeare Company in Michigan. And what Toby didn't know was that I recognized him because I had seen him do a job talk back when he was on the academic market. And he had talked about his PhD research, which was all about cuts of Richard III. And so I sidled over to him and I said, hey, Toby, uh, I'm thinking about cutting everything that happens at Pomfret. What do you think? And I responded uh, immediately with, I, you can't cut Pomfret. We need Pomfret. Uh, how much context do we lose if we lose Pomfret? And so we got into a, a really entertaining debate about what you can and can't include Richard III. Obviously, Richard III is the, the second longest play in the entire canon, so it has to be cut somehow. Otherwise, the play is going to be six hours long. So there needs to be cuts, but where do you cut and uh, and how? And so we got into this conversation, and by the end of that conversation, we said, we had this work. They had this uh, festival coming up. Why don't we propose a workshop uh, and te teach a workshop on how to cut Shakespeare? That sounds fun. Um, and so we did, and we taught this workshop, which was hugely entertaining and mostly uh, comprised of Ali and I uh, disagreeing with one another over various cuts. And at the end of the workshop, one of the participants said, uh, "Is there a book on this subject that uh, you could point us towards so we could learn more about that?" And we said. We don't know. Let's look that up. And we looked it up and found that there was no such book. Uh, there are certainly sections in uh, dramaturgy textbooks that cover some bits of cutting, but nothing had been in depth. So we proposed it to Routledge and here we are. Well, it sounds like a tr tremendous idea. I've got so many questions right off the bat. First of all, I, I, like probably many people, first encountered Shakespeare when an educational Shakespeare performance troupe came to my junior high or high school and performed probably what was a 45-minute cut of one of Shakespeare's plays. And I imagine that that's a pretty common experience. When you're cutting Shakespeare for performance in high school, imagine you're working under some pretty severe constraints in terms of timing and also content. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, the, the timing is always constrained by school schedules, like when does the school bus have to come to take the people back to their school or when does the bell ring for lunch? Um, so, so that's, it's, it's a pretty unforgiving kind of cut timing wise. Uh, you really have to be right on the money. And you don't want to finish it too early either because then you have restless students kind of milling about waiting for their next class, right? So you have to be pretty exact about it. Um, and yes, sometimes sometimes content can be a really uh, important piece of cutting in an educational environment. Uh, there's certainly lots of dirty jokes in Shakespeare and, you know, most of those aren't super appropriate for an educational context. Uh, they Although sometimes you know, can go a little bit 
sometimes it can go a little bit too far. We heard one one example of a uh, of a conservative school who protested to the use of the word ass as in in uh, c- connection to bottom being. Uh, turned into an ass in a midsummer night's dream because that's that was considered a curse word um uh, obviously <laughs> not 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 all cuts are, are quite so conservative but but yeah uh, and and then a big part of it will also come down to if you're performing in a school or if you're on tour then you don't have you generally most companies don't have the wherewithal to tour with 15 actors so you'll be doing it with four five and so that means you have to think about doubling you have to think about who's on stage at the same time uh, and so there's a lot of different things come into into play it's funny that you mentioned how severe those time constraints are because I can remember being in in junior high school or, or high school and, and watching a performance. And when the bell rings, it doesn't matter if we're in the middle of the sword fight between Laertes and Hamlet. Students are standing up and walking out. It's over. Another big piece of it, of course, with schools is that um, in a lot of cases, it is somebody's first experience with Shakespeare. And often it's people's first experience seeing a play. And so my goal always is that I want the story to be maximally clear, engaging, and preferably fun. So I'm going to cut in favor of things like clowns and fights and you know stuff, stuff that's really visually engaging and probably cut away from things that are a little more obscure. So cutting a lot like, of what happens at like Pomfret and Richard III. <laughs> there's lots of political <laughs> stuff. There's lots of extraneous members of Queen Elizabeth's family that I'm sure Shakespeare's audience knew who those people were, but our audience does not, and especially high school students really don't. Whenever trying to make Shakespeare uh, simple. Uh, we're never trying to make Shakespeare um, uh, to, to remove uh, any of the the nuance or uh, the joy that is in the depth to Shakespeare. Sometimes it is about sort of saying we have this constraint um, and we can only fit within this constraint. And so if we try to do a full production of Hamlet, uh, time pr- time constraints be damned, we're not going to get to the ghost scene before the bell rings. And so then, then we're not going to get to see the play. So we do have to uh, cut. And, and one of the things that we spend a lot of time on in our book is we make it very clear that cutting is not a modern concept. Cutting is something that's been happen- happening uh, at least since the time of Shakespeare. And you know, we have evidence that it's been happening since the time of the Greeks, um, where a play will be written in its fullest, fullest form and then will be tailored down to the space that is available. So let me ask you a hypothetical, which I'm sure you, you deal with in your, in your book. Suppose a, a high school teacher, maybe an English teacher or whoever is, is faced with a three-hour monster of a script that they have to cut down to 45 minutes. What, what advice do you have? Well, step, step one, buy our book, um, uh, <laughs> which has, has plenty of tips and uh, a guide for anyone who is uh, brand new to this or someone who is an expert who is looking for a few pointers or, or, um, or affirmations. I don't know. If someone's listening to this and like doesn't feel like buying our book today, I think that the place that I would tell people to start is to just... Start by writing down what you think the story is, right? Because one thing that we think about a lot is there are many stories embedded within each of the plays. And that can really be helpful just in terms of thinking about if I can only keep a third of the play, what bits do I not want? And it might be things like, what bits do I not think are funny? Um, Or (laughs) maybe there's a B plot that seems kind of extraneous. Um, So yeah, I think, Starting though, if you if you write like what is your one sentence version of the play and mm-hmm. hold up every piece of the play against it. 
yeah, inevitably any cut is going to reduce the play in its in its richness. Uh, and so, for example, I did a production of, of King Lear uh, a dozen years ago where we need to get as quickly through uh, to uh, to um, Cordelia's banishment as we could. So uh, I cut Burgundy. <laughs> I just cut Burgundy. I said, right, there's one wooer. France is going to come in. He's going to take Cordelia home. We're going to just lose that entire beat. Yeah, the scene is less rich, and we acknowledge that. But we also save ourselves seven minutes. Uh, and for a for a touring production who is uh, working in uh, in a rural town um, who needs to get us uh, our audiences situated in the story, um, that's a worthwhile thing to do. So sometimes you can do something like cut a burgundy uh and you don't you wouldn't do it if you were performing on the main stage at the oregon shakespeare festival but you might try it in uh in a in a different scenario if you could give if i could present you with a hypothetical teacher <laughs> who's never produced a play before and maybe not read shakespeare since high school themselves but is in the position of having to produce a shakespeare play what play would you recommend oh hmm. generally I would always start with Romeo and Juliet um, <clears throat> just because we do have, <laughs> I mean, Eileen disagrees with me and that's fine. I, I would, I mean, maybe I'm biased because one of my earliest cuts was Romeo and Juliet and I found that that it was so familiar to me and it was so in my bones that I could sort of feel, um, you know, e even just from reading it in grade nine English. <laughs> I always have an alternate opinion. <laughs> um so I, uh, if it was somebody who hadn't had a lot of experience producing plays before, I would actually shy away from anything that had fights or intimacy. And so that's why I think actually Romeo and Juliet isn't a super responsible choice in that case. <laughs> I, I would probably start with uh, As You Like It, something that is, As You Like It's great because it's, the storyline's pretty accessible and easy to understand. There's several clowns. It's a fantastic ensemble piece. There's not really a Star. I mean, like Rosalind is sort of the star, but like everybody has cool stuff to do. It also has it's ripe for cuts because there are a lot of clowns that mostly speak nonsense, and so it's, uh, <laughs> it's pretty easy to say. Perhaps we could take out this four hundred year old joke about how you start a duel. Um, so, what advice do you have for producers who are working with problematic actors? And of course, all actors are problematic to a greater or lesser extent. But say the actor who is really fighting for a line back, a line that's been uh, cut. Mm. Yes, yes. The the age old question. Yes, the um, the ownership of of, of plays. As one of the things that we we continue to ask the people who we interview, we 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 have the, our book is full of interviews with um, people who are professional uh, text cutters, and and we asked often about how they dealt with this, and some and everyone had different. Uh, ways of going about it. Some would have a cap and trade where they would say you can you can have a line back if you give me a line, you know you can you can have that line if you give me another line back. Uh, others would um, uh, learn the lessons of if they provided the script to the actors with the cut lines in strike through, then the actors would only look for the lines that they had lost as opposed to the lines they still had. Um, uh, and sometimes it comes down to uh, educating the actors a little bit to say we haven't cut that line as a punishment to you we've cut that line because the narrative that we're trying to build here with this production doesn't fit that that moment that beat uh, I did a Richard III a few years ago where 
the directive's uh, directive was cut everything that is that cannot be direct addressed. I want everything to be direct addressed to the audience. Uh, and if it's if the line cannot be direct addressed, then we don't want it, which was a really interesting challenge. And so, and it was, and we cut surprisingly little in terms of because a lot of it can be direct addressed. But if an actor came and said, "But I really want this line," which is you know, uh, you know, in this scene uh, between you know, me and Lady Anne, uh, we could point directly to saying, this is the directive, this is what we're going for, and that cannot be a director, direct arrest line, so that's why we've cut it. One thing that we discovered before we wrote the book, we read a lot of the other stuff that had been written about cutting, and a lot of it, a lot of what we read was kind of defensive about cutting, where actors were concerned. It was a lot of like, well, actors aren't really going to understand why the lines are cut, like, keep this kind of a secret from them, um, and don't, you know, don't let them push for things. And... In my experience as a director, actors very often when they're asking for a line back, it's for a really good reason and not self-aggrandizement. And there have been many, many times when an actor has come to me and said, look, you cut this line, it's literally just 10 syllables. And I feel like if I have this line, I'm going to be able to, to make this leap to this next thing. And very often they have shown me something that I completely missed. They've shown me a mistake I have made. And I, I feel like in rehearsal, that's what rehearsal's for is playing and experimenting. In rehearsal, sometimes I will say, okay, you think that that needs to get back in there. I kind of don't know if I agree, but let's just run the scene with it and then without and see what we can do here. There, there are stereotypes about actors line grubbing. I have encountered that very, very little in my work. Um, one thing that we learned when we were interviewing people, uh, Martine Key Green Rogers, who is a brilliant dramaturg, uh, told us that sometimes when she's cutting, she's not really sure about whether or not a certain line will will necessarily be cut. And so when she gives it to the actors, she has excised most of the things she doesn't think belong in the script, but she'll have some things that are in there with just a strike through mark um, in order that the director and the actors can work together to figure out, does that line need to be cut or not? And I am absolutely stealing that the next time that I have an opportunity to, to cut a plate mm-hmm. for, for performance. That seems like such a great exercise just from an educational standpoint. Oh, totally. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we had, I had one production where uh, I said to a director, hypothetical question, what would you say if I said we should cut Queen Mab? And his head uh, quietly exploded. <laughs> and then he said, you can't cut Queen Mab. And I said, oh, just tell me, just tell me in terms of the narrative, what, what does it give us? Because at the moment it's 10 minutes of, of bad jokes that, you know, the actor's struggling with. What, what, what should we do? And it became very qu- clear very quickly that if you don't have Queen Mab, then we don't know Mercutio at all. We don't get to, we, and then when he dies, we don't care. And so, yeah, it seems like a whole lot of stuff about someone's dreams, but then when it comes down to it, that's what the audience needs it. You can trim inside it, but you can't cut it. Or if you do cut it, you're going to lose a great deal. So it's so much of it is is really a, a trial and error. I know that you spoke to some of the preeminent Shakespeare scholars when researching this book, including James Shapiro and others. What are some surprising things that you've learned in your interviews? We had so many different perspectives. We had another perspective from Kate Mulvaney, who is a brilliant Australian uh, playwright, uh, an actor who who cuts all the way into production. So she'll be cutting and re- restoring lines and taking things back and coming and saying, "Hey, is this speech? How's it? you know in in performance?" She'll come to an actor who's playing Buckingham and Richard III and say, "Hey, is this speech too long for you? How's it? I can see you're labouring a little bit. You want to cut this back?" And they'd go, "Yeah, actually, this line isn't working." She'd be like, "Great, let's cut that one." Uh, and so, be, you know, it's quite un- quite unconventional to cut after opening, but uh, but everyone has a different 
approach. And, and that's the thing we found. We interviewed over 20 uh, professionals from around the world, uh, all of whom we respect like crazy. And we so we're still pinching ourselves that they were happy to be interviewed. Um, and they all had a different approach. Um, James Shapiro is an extremely nice and approachable person. I was so nervous before we talked to him and he was <laughs> unbelievably lovely, as well as being, of course, a genius. Yeah, we are massive James Shapiro fans. <laughs> One of my favorite ones, which I actually now have as like the background on my phone, so I see it every single day, is that, you know, a lot of people were very, very academic. And Anne Bogart said, basically, you do all that and then lean on the poetry that is available to one's intuition. And I just loved that so much um, because I think that, that, that there is an art to cutting and that's what she's speaking to there. Cutting is an intensely creative act. And I imagine a double-edged sword. You, you get to be so intimate with the text, and then you begin to make these decisions about what to cut and what to leave in, which are creative and personal decisions. And the other side of the sword, of course, especially in today's fraught political climate, is that once you've entered into that relationship with the text, you're also taking ownership for those decisions. And to a certain extent are liable for them. You mentioned leaving in um, the references to the ass in Midsummer Night's Dream, which is almost inextricable from the play. <laughs> what advice do you have for folks that have some trepidation about taking on that level of ownership and that level of culpability? Well, the, the main thing that to remember is that Shakespeare can take it. <laughs> Shakespeare is pretty hardy. Um, he's, he's lasted for 400 years and he's going to survive your cut. <laughs> so um, it's not the end of the world to try something. Um, but you may not. Uh, I think as an educator, as an educator <laughs> in today's climate, you may not survive certain cuts sure. or the decision to leave certain things in. Sure, absolutely. I think, if the, uh, I think as long as you're uh, aware of the production that you're trying to create and you can justify the... Uh, reasons for your cuts or what you've retained. Uh, sometimes you might look at it and go, you know what, my middle school production of Titus Andronicus maybe wasn't the best choice, um, you know, but I think early on you'd probably make that call and go, um, maybe that play isn't right because, you know, you can't do Titus Andronicus without, you know, that ending. So, uh, or that middle or that beginning. Um, so, you know, it's, it's uh, I think a lot of it does come down to being aware that the cut is a first parry in the in the entire duel of the, of getting through to the final production. Uh, so that means that it's it's it, it it is intentionally personal, but it's also intensely collaborative. Um, and we we spend a huge amount of time um, as as uh, cutters, uh, dramaturgs, uh, directors, all collaborating on making sure that we are uh, fulfilling the vision of what this production is going to be. So you've chosen a piece to share with us today. Would you, uh, can you introduce it for us? Sure. Uh, it seemed appropriate for us to, uh, to offer a piece from Richard III, since it's the play that brought us together and it's a play that is very close to both of our hearts. And we thought we'd do something a little bit different this time, is that we uh, not only took a, a section from Richard III, but we took a section and then we cut it. So uh, the section that we took was originally a 208-line section, uh, a conversation between uh, King Richard III and Elizabeth Woodville. Um, 
uh, and we cut it down to 38 lines. So we uh, essentially um, uh, cut it by more than uh, 75% in order to maybe demonstrate uh, some of the processes of cutting and how a scene, which may be not as full as, as is in Shakespeare, uh, can be still um, uh, really rich in terms of its content and also uh, clearing the way for a lot of uh, really interesting subtext. We can post the full 238 line excerpt on our website so that our listeners can compare. Yeah, and we can provide you one that has a strike through as well with all the cut lines so you can see what's lost as well. Oh, excellent. Would one of you like to read the cut for us? Yes, it's, it's a, a dialogue. It's a, it's a dialogue, so we'll, yeah, okay. If I did take the kingdom from your sons to make amends, I'll give it to your daughter. The loss you have is but a son being king, and by that loss, your daughter is made queen. Go, then, my mother, to thy daughter, go, prepare her ears to hear a wooer's tale. What were I best to say? Her father's brother would be her lord? Or shall I say her uncle? Or he that slew her brothers and her uncles? Say she shall be a high and mighty queen. To wail the title as her mother doth. Say I will love her everlastingly. But how long shall that title ever last? Sweetly enforce unto her fair life's end. But how long fairly shall her sweet life last? So long as heaven and nature lengthens it. So long as hell and Richard likes of it. Your reasons are too shallow and too quick. Oh no, my reasons are too deep and dead. Too deep and dead poor infants in their grave. Harp not on that string, madam. That is past. Harp on it still shall I till heart strings break. Now, by my George, my garter, and my crown. Profaned, dishonoured, and the third usurped. If something thou wilt swear to be believed, swear then by something that thou hast not wronged. Now, by the world. Tis full of thy foul wrongs. My father's death. Thy life hath that dishonoured. Then by myself. Thyself thyself misusest. Why, then by God. God's wrong is most of all. What canst thou swear by now? The time to come. Swear not by time to come, for that thou hast misused ere used by time misused or past. That's what we got there. That sounds excellent to my ear. But you who know it intimately well know that you probably had to make some very difficult choices there. And the interesting thing about this is that we, as an exercise, when we said we had, saw that we had this option, uh, is that we said, okay, Eileen did a first pass and cut the play, uh, the, the, the scene down from 208 lines to 89 lines. And then she passed it over to me and said, I think we need to cut a little bit more, have another go. And so I cut it from 89 to 38 um, uh, and sort of <laughs> figuring out uh, the sections that we needed to communicate the point, which a lot of it was uh, uh, prefatory stuff, uh, repetition, uh, and then Ali was cruel enough to uh, cut uh, before I got to talk about the nest of spicery that was her daughter's womb, um, and I still haven't quite forgiven her for that. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you know that you're finished when you get to 38? You could probably cut it to 10 from here. Maybe. Uh, one thing that we say that's really important, uh, one of the first like three things you should know before you start cutting is how long do I have? So we listened to a few other episodes mm -hmm. of your show and timed how long people spend speaking their Shakespeare piece and decided that 90 seconds was probably about what we should aim for. Is that right? Wow, that's interesting. 
<laughs> yeah, we it's it's interesting also to figure out what's going on in this scene because Richard has a motivation. He wants to to marry um uh Elizabeth of York and um uh and Elizabeth Woodville wants to make it very clear that that's not going to happen. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that goes around. They go around and around in circles. And in Shakespeare, Richard gets a lot more of an opportunity to really convince her until you get to the end of the scene and you almost think that he's got her, almost. It's almost kind of, you, you could play it as though she's either convinced or she's tell, pretending that she's convinced so she can get out of the room. Um, and so we take a lot of, taking a lot of that out means that you lose a lot of that texture. But you also get an opportunity where, um, where to clear some of the words out of the way, you get to really drive through the intentions. And for me, um, when I was an actor a long time ago back in Australia, uh, I performed in some Shakespeare plays that were cut down by Scott Kaiser of the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. And he was a genius, his, his cuts. He, uh, uh, so he's, he did school cuts of Othello and Mary Wives of Windsor and Titus Andronicus all cut down to 45 minutes with three actors. Um, and they were so concise and got exactly to the core of what needed to be done is that it was so, so inspirational. And so what we're trying to do is sort of just to figure out what needs to be there and uh, what, what is extraneous. Eileen Huber and Toby Malone, it's been delightful speaking to you. It's been great being here. Thank you. Thank you. And for our listeners who are interested in picking up a copy of your book, could you let us know where they can find it and the title of your book again? Yes. So the book is called Cutting Plays for Performance, a Practical and Accessible Guide. It's available everywhere uh, you can find books uh, at the Routledge website and hopefully in your brick and mortar bookstores uh, um, around the world. Uh, you can also find us on social media at Cutting Plays, uh, which is on uh, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. And we also have a website cuttingplays.com, which includes uh, cutting tools that will be available very soon for public use, uh, where people can use uh, all the tools that Eile, our uh, resident coder, has developed. Uh, so we're, we're very excited and uh, we're, we're so thrilled to have had the chance to talk to you today, Karen. That's terrific. And when that becomes available, we look forward to posting a link to it on our website. Thank you both for joining us today. And to our listeners, thank you for listening to The State of Shakespeare. Thanks for joining us for the State of Shakespeare podcast. We invite you to visit stateofshakespeare.com for more episodes, information about each of our guests, and the Shakespeare text you heard on the program, and much more. And we welcome you to join the discussion by liking us on Facebook. That's www.stateofshakespeare.com. Thanks for listening.